Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In season three, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest on resilience is psychotherapist, author, and speaker, Cheryl Crowter. As Cheryl states, I would get in those sessions with people and then I would focus in, focus on them, and I just felt transported. So that's when I began to know, boy, there's really something about taking what's happening with you and rather than sort of collapsing. So I think both gratitude and giving to others are some of the best ways that you can really heal and also feel that sense of resilience within. Here, my name is Cheryl Crowder. I'm a San Francisco Bay Area psychotherapist and author. I have a, I've been practicing psychotherapy for now over 40 years, and my practice is in existential humanistic psychotherapy, which is a very depth oriented look at consciousness, being present, looking at choice. I'm a cancer survivor, and from that uh, ordeal, I'll call it like it is. <laughs> From that ordeal, I went into working with cancer, people with cancer diagnosis, their partners, their their caregivers, their families. Um, I was looking for a way to process my own experience. And while there were many good resources, I, I just couldn't find one that satisfied that existential part of me. So I started uh, by writing a book myself. I said, well, if you can't find it, do it yourself. So I wrote a book for cancer survivors called uh, Surviving the Storm, a workbook for telling your cancer story. And from there, Oxford Press, who was my publisher, asked me to write a book for the clinicians. I have a big passion for bringing wholehearted care into the healthcare system. And, and certainly right now, we know that the healthcare system is really struggling, not only for the patients, but I'm also gonna say that the, the healthcare workers on all levels are really struggling in ways that they can themselves feel wholehearted toward themselves and others. So that's my work with cancer, which has been incredibly meaningful. I thought I was just going to work with survivors. As it turns out, I work with end of life, people living with cancer. It's a very meaningful, meaningful way to work. In 2016, uh, I lost my husband suddenly. And from there came my memoir, which is called Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, lost, and letting go. That was published in July of 2021, and I'm currently 
um, out, you know, writing on that and working with that. So that's kind of the lay of the land at this point. Yeah. Okay. Well, Cheryl, I wanted to thank you so much because you and I were connected because you contributed to my interview series, Rising Through Resilience, yes. How to Be Resilient During Turbulent Times. And what I found really profound is this idea of focusing on others. So many mm -hmm. of us are caught up in this whole idea of it needs to work for me. It needs to be about me. And I love that you changed the paradigm. Can you speak more about that? Absolutely. Certainly with both of the situations, I guess I'll call it, but both of the, the life-changing situations, let's really call it, both cancer and then the, the sudden loss of, of somebody. What I found, and people were sort of odd, I, I, I two weeks you know later I was working, I managed, and I was fortunate this way, and I know I'm fortunate to be able to have worked through my cancer diagnosis. It was clear that I had cancer, I needed to disclose to people. However, when I would feel really ill, tired, you know, trying to keep my head up, I would get in those sessions with people and then I would focus in you know, focus on them and I just felt transported. So that's when I began to know, boy, you know, there's really something about taking what's happening with you and rather than just sort of collapsing and here's the resilience. And again, I was fortunate. I know a lot of people who have really serious illnesses don't, they're just not capable of doing that. However, there's always some way which you can give out and pay attention to others. And then I began to notice that people who could do that, no matter what their situations were, no matter what age they were, they generally just did better. They felt better because it's it's meaningful to feel like, you know, no matter what's happening, I don't have to collapse. I can, I can still be a, a person in the world who relates to others. So I, I, I think both gratitude and, and giving to others are, are some of the best ways that you can really heal and also feel feel that sense of resilience within. Yeah. yeah. In the article, you mentioned these ideas of you're very proud of mentioning your age to 70 years old and you have mm -hmm. a bit of a backstory, having these turning points to mm -hmm. the struggles you've had with ovarian cysts. Mm -hmm. How has your medical um, maladies, so to speak, affected the way you perceive people, life, and situations. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I so appreciated that article and what you put out because I did find myself, to tell the truth, writing about situations, you know, health issues, certainly some of the, the bullying that had happened that I had never done before. And right there, and I could feel it right now, right there, it was such a meaningful experience to finally, again, tell the story. I believe very deeply in telling stories. My own medical history, and again, I don't think about it a whole lot, which I think is fine, but when I sort of went through it and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is pretty extensive here. It's given me an understanding of what it's like to live with pain, with illness, with the uncertainty, particularly if anything to do with cancer, where really for the rest of your life, that shadow is in the room. And how any of us is able to live with this shadow, and because I have lived with it, you know, throughout my life in so many different ways, I feel like it gives me a comfortability of sitting in those places with people. I'm pretty comfortable in dark caves. 
I'm comfortable in territories with no maps. And just being alongside someone, because I've often traveled these paths myself, it gives a sense of relatedness. And I know people have felt that there's a way that they can open up with me and talk with me because I'm not going to be defensive. I'm not going to get frightened. I'm just going to be there with whatever they are bringing, just meeting someone where they are. And people do relate very well if you have experienced what it's like to have surgeries, experience what it's like when you know chemotherapy goes into your body. There's a certain sensation, nothing like it. <laughs> and to have Feel, people feel like they, I understand. That's That's been a way to, to get my own resilience, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. As someone who's been a psychotherapist for many years, I really love the point you honed on, which is this idea of honoring their trust, mm. that each person brings their unique story and you're just fortunate enough to go alongside with that. Can you detail an experience uh, that you've had where it's created an aha moment for you? Mm-hmm. Again, I have been beyond fortunate to have, at this point, probably thousands of people honor me with their trust. It's very moving to me that people would trust me in that way, and I hope that I have honored that well. I think one story that I'd like to share, and it happened during cancer, I'm going to kind of alter the the details a, a bit so that it's you know doesn't betray anybody's confidence. But a person that I had worked with in in psychotherapy had been in a, a relationship that for actually 40 years had been not not healthy. There was a lot of unhappiness. There was a way in which this person couldn't seem to find, whether it be resilience or the courage or the wherewithal, to finally say, you know, I, I, I'm going to take care of myself and, and do something else. Well, one day I'm sitting in the office and I'm like bald as balls. And I, I, my joke was I look like Mrs. Potato Head. And I chose not to put a wig. I chose just to show up. And this person looked across the room at me and said, you know what? If you can go through this, if you can do this, then I can make choices about my life and I can move on. At which point this person with a lot of courage made incredible life changes, moved out of that relationship, created a whole other one. And every so often I hear from this person, beautiful photographs, beaming, smiling, and is now living their best life. In the piece, I asked a question about None of us achieve success without some help along the way. And you detailed mm -hmm. the book, The Search for Authenticity. Mm. Can you give us more detail on how that book fashioned your perception of the world? Yes. That book was written by my mentor, James Fusental. And when I was a starving graduate student, <laughs> I had no money and I knew I wanted to. Uh, I, I had gone from a, um, a, a program at, at UCLA, very traditional was more research oriented. And I realized, you know, this is the, the 70s. This is not what I want to do. I'm interested in humanistic psychotherapy. So I decided to uh, make the, the move up to Sonoma County, this small little college at the time that was the only humanistic psychotherapy program in the country. 
And I was writing my, my master's thesis in the library and I came across this book, The Search for Authenticity. I thought, well, what an incredible title. So I began to read it. And as I read it, I became enthralled. And of course, I had no money to buy this book. So I would check it out, I would check it out. And finally it became obvious that there was no way I was gonna be able to keep checking this book out. So there was this, at the time, I think we called them Xerox machines, a copy machine. I would sneak away to the corner of the library. And I literally, I hope, don't arrest me for this. I literally printed out every page of that book so that I could have it with me. And then years later, it was very much part of my master's thesis. Years later, I'm sitting in a very small meditation retreat. Actually, Jack Cornfield, who's quite well known now at Spirit Rock Center, was his first meditation retreat in Marin County decades ago. And I was sitting by this man and there was 10 of us in the room. And when he introduced himself, he said, oh, I'm, my name is Jim Bugenthal. And I was like, oh my God, it's Jim Bugenthal. So I turned to him and I said, I so admire your work. I, I think, I don't know if I told him I'd Xerox his book, but I did tell him how much I loved the book. And that was that. And then about five years after that, a very dear friend of mine said, hey, you know, we're in a consultation group with a man named Jim Bugenthal. Would you like to join? And I jumped on it and then worked with him for close to 20 years. He was a master psychotherapist. He took no prisoners in terms of those of us that he worked with. And so I feel very, very honored to have worked with him. And he's in the room with me all the time. Sometimes he's giving me the business because I'm not doing what he thinks I should. But so that's that story. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. So Cheryl, how do you define resilience? Well, I think as I wrote about it, I, I, re, I define it as presence, being able to be present in the moment, being present in, in wherever you are in the moment and not trying to get too far ahead or too far behind the more that, that I feel like I'm centered or the more we're centered, we can build that sense of spaciousness. So I just, I feel it's, it's a sense of presence. It's a sense of allowing space within. And I do believe very strongly that we can teach ourselves and others how to do this. I've, I've had taught myself, I've had help with that myself. I've taught others using breath, using meditation, using grounding, any way that you can come fully into yourself. Because once we're there, it's a it's a certain ground that can't be shaken. No matter if there's an earthquake beneath us, if we're there within, that's our truth. And when we stand in ourselves and our own truth, there's a resilience and a power to that. It's very internal. It's an inner job. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think you likened it also to the Japanese proverb, fall down seven times, get up eight. I yes. just loved it. It was such a beautiful metaphor for what I know billions to be true. Uh, yes. And, and there's the belief in that, right, Savio? There's the belief that, uh, here I am, I'm down on the ground, but okay, you know, let's take a few breaths, maybe take a moment, and then I'm going to get back up and see where this leads me. Because honestly, also, you know, fall down seven, get up eight. There's also that possibility that when you get up and you discover where you are, it may be more magical and wonderful than what you imagined. And you think, wow, well, I didn't expect this, but this ain't bad. <laughs> In the piece, I also asked a very curious question about courage and resilience. Do you see them as one and the same? Do you see them as different? What I believe is that 
Resilience is, is more of an inner place that we can develop no matter what is going on. And if we continue to make that a practice, that will grow as a muscle strong. Courage, I feel, is more of an outer experience at times, like we have to face something specific and we find the courage to do that. So while I see them as related, I, I see them as separate, but I see them as really working together. People often don't feel that they're courageous if they feel afraid or if they feel vulnerable. And oftentimes people feel that vulnerability is weak. To me, I think vulnerability is a superpower and people that can be in their own vulnerability are remarkably resilient, resilient. the opposite of resistant. And then it helps with the courage. And it's important to know that you know, you can find courage in, in moments that you don't expect to find it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a question in the piece I mentioned about, did someone ever say something was impossible? Um, and was, I've read through hundreds of, of these uh, interviews and yours was so wonderful because it speaks to me about you spoke and you said, I thought I was the oh. one who didn't believe in myself and mm -hmm. created the impossibility. How has that thinking shifted throughout the years? I have been someone that has pretty much gone for what I feel I need to go for. I use it, I use a measure of an intuitive feeling. It's, it's often uh, accompanied by a sense of, I don't want to do it, or oh, do I have to, oh, I, you know, it's too expensive, blah, 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 blah. all these ways that get in the way. However, if I keep coming back to that intuitive sense of, you need to do this, I follow it. That I think is part of not making things impossible, not saying no too quickly. I think we need to say yes, rather than no, and then see, and that's, that's again, the, the courage to do so. But yes, I think, yes, people, I've been fortunate, not too many people, except maybe in the acting career <laughs> that I had early on, have said that's not possible. No, 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 no. However, on my own, I do think that the times that I have gotten in my own way have, have been far more significant than anybody else. That maybe I can get even a little rebellious if someone tells me no and say, well, okay, then look out. So that's, I think, also true. Yeah. Yeah. You also spoke to the fact that if you did pursue acting, you're, you actually surmise that your life would have turned out badly. Yeah. Yeah. How's that thinking process been for you in, in terms of looking back and looking at some of the choices you made? Yeah. Looking back, I can, and that's always the advantage of looking back from a, you know, more of an older vantage point, <laughs> let's get real. So you can watch sort of the, the curvy road. It's, I, I think we all get a little off when we think of, of life and decisions as linear, like it's going to go from point A to point B and say, oh no, I'm at C, I'm at D, I'm over here, I'm over there, I'm all over the place. Looking back, I'm extremely glad that I went to Los Angeles, that I got the agents, that I went through that process. It's a very nasty business, particularly for young women and particularly in the early 70s. Fortunately, nothing too destructive happened to me, but believe me, there were many opportunities for there to be some really ugly situations. And when the last one happened, 
I had the presence of mind and I, I, I it surprised me a bit. And I think I put this in, in that. It surprised me that I had the somehow the knowledge as a, as a 23 year old woman to say, you know, I'm done. You can't, you cannot have me in this way. And I, you know, I walked out of that, that interview. That was it. And again, it was not saying that that was, was easy because there, I felt depressed here. I had something that I'd wanted very much to do. I felt I'd failed. I had to go through that process to get to the other side. And yet when I did, and I came to what I do now and have spent well now 46 years before being licensed of my life being a psychotherapist and helping people i have absolutely no regrets but again i tried something so rather than look back and say gee i wish i had tried that i i knew and so i think that that's part of it yeah you know, you spoke so candidly about this idea of cultivating resilience and how you were such a, a strong, imaginative inner world that you created as a young child. Mm -hmm. Does that still serve you now? Mm -hmm. Well, I honestly, I think it's the basis of who I am at my core that I never lost magical thinking. <laughs> and I encourage people never to lose magical thinking to keep that sense of, of wonder and curiosity. It saved my life really as a child uh, to be able to go into those worlds, to disappear into magical worlds, to create my own realities really, which I did quite successfully. It was in the face of traumatic, you know, traumatic events that weren't easy, but I managed to create that world yeah, I think that's still something that, that works for me. I can create those magical worlds, my little fantasies and <laughs> be trans, you know, sort of transported away. I think it likens to this growing interest and urge in the metaverse. Like, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people mm -hmm. are confused by it. A lot of people think it's, it's escapism. Mm -hmm. But I, I kind of look at it differently. I, obviously, it's how you view it. But it's also... Um, another way to create that imaginative world, right? To be who you would like to be perhaps, or be better than you are. Well, it seems like you're also talking about dreaming, right? That you can have dreams and honestly, metaverse or, or beyond. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of unrealistic to say that this is it it's sort of very earth centric or something, you know, and it sort of makes human beings like far more advanced than I think we really are. I think we're pretty primitive. And so I, I think that travel, I, I'm, I love time machines, the, the, the idea of a time machine that's been my lifelong fantasy. If I could wish for anything, it would be a time machine. I could travel around the universe and just see. Honestly, I don't know, but I think it's really important to dream big and be open to possibilities and explore in that way. Why not? You know? Yeah. I love the fact that you mentioned Time Machine because I'm a huge fan of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> and there were so, so many beautiful episodes, but I just remember one in particular where he was stuck in that time. And yeah. so for me, I love the idea of a time machine, mm -hmm. but I would rather be a voyeur <laughs> of time. Uh -huh. rather than be stuck in the dark or the middle ages and be caught and captured <laughs> yeah it's like oh my god where'd the time machine go <laughs> exactly i always think about how amazing it would be to go back and meet certain people yeah and actually see what was going on 
I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, I was raised as a Christian, but I'm, I'm basically, uh, I, pra I practice Buddhist uh, meditation. So I, I, I more feel like that's, that's my spiritual practice. But I think it would be fascinating to take the time machine and go back and see what this being called Jesus, who was this? What, was the, what were the real stories here of this particular being who has still such a, you know, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, all these spiritual teachers that are still so prevalent? That would be fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. So in the piece I mentioned, what are the five things one can take to become more resilient? What are your five? The first I would say is being present. And that um, can be done by breath exercises, you know, learning how to do some breathing. You can find this, uh, some of the apps that they have, you can find it online, you can find it, you know, a lot of teachers talk about being able to learn how to breathe. So being present with your breath. Again, the focusing on, on others. That's, that's, I believe, a big one. Uh, developing a sense of that resilience, like we've already talked about. When you believe that you can rely on yourself, when you believe that you can depend on yourself regardless of the situation, that's another good tool. And we've just, what we've just talked about, spiritual exploration, whatever that means. I don't have any... Uh, edict on what that for some people that may be walking in a forest for me it's buddhist meditation it may be prayer it may be whatever has you feel a sense that's bigger than you are i that really helps develop resilience it's more than me it's more than this moment there's there's a bigger picture and when you work with that long enough you can actually access it and those are the things that i believe i yeah i wrote about um also listening to sounds, and that goes with the breath. You just come in the moment, you hear sounds around you. Like this morning, I heard the most beautiful bird singing, just singing away. And I, I just began to listen to that bird, and I let that bird start my day. Mm, great. So I love to transition into now what I call brainstorming. So I asked a curious question about if you could create a movement, what would that be? And yours was so simplistic, a loving kindness. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe you and I could just talk very off the cuff about the idea of moving that particular idea or concept mm -hmm, forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious when you read that, what 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 moved you or what did you think about, you know? Yeah, I, I think for me, what really struck me is this idea, like the idea of loving kindness sounds so easy, right? But to yeah. actually implement it and to mm -hmm. actually do it and to actually live by that type of mm -hmm. philosophy or that type of day-to-day -day thinking yeah. is very difficult. So I thought of things like things that I've studied, like Kristen Neff, loving mm -hmm. kindness meditation and, mm -hmm. and listening to music and listening to sounds. But I live in the real material, physical world. I, I challenge myself every day to take myself out of my comfort zone. With mm -hmm. COVID, it was, it was a lot difficult. But I want to do that because I'm just a very curious person at heart. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking is how do you get individuals especially with all the chaos that's running now with violence and um, mm -hmm. things happening. How do you get people to realize that that type of thinking, that type of is going to 
allow you to become a better person and maybe give because I think a lot of people act in a very opposite way because yeah. they feel like they have lack in their lives. Yes. So how can you allow others to see that lo being loving and kind to other people, also to yourself, mm -hmm. is going to then be a reciprocating type of relationship? So yeah. I, I still struggle with it. Well, I, I think you're right because, you know, it's one thing to have loving kindness for people that you feel loving and kind towards. <laughs> Um, it's another, and this, I, this is the real practice. It's another, it's another to pick, uh, people or situations, um, you know, racism and sexism and all those aspects that you feel angry about or judgmental about. And that's the real work. What I say to myself and also others, and it seems to have a pretty good effect is, you know, what does it feel like to you? If you sit in judgment, what does it feel like to you if you sit in anger? What does that be in your body? Sense what it feels when you have that sort of negative view of another person or situation. What's that like? And then sit there. All right, now let's breathe and let's see. If you breathe in a sense of loving kindness in yourself and then breathe that out and focus on the other person, and just give that a little try, practice that, see what it's like. Let's transition to, okay, now see, what is it like inside you when you come from a place of loving kindness? And when people get that real experiential sense of the difference, I believe that's helpful. I do make it a practice and I suggest this to other people too. Pick someone that's really difficult. It could be someone you know, it could be someone you don't know. Um, you know, Vladimir Putin comes to mind at this point. I'm doing some work with him and that's really hard. The only thing that I have found is his early life and how, what a terrible time he had in his early life, a lot of abandonment and poverty. And there's a way in which if, if I can find some way to connect in with what's underneath a defense that's been created, a stony, you know, hatred, then, then, then I can sort of slip underneath those walls, but that's, that's a big task, right? I think a large part of this is people feel, and it's easy to feel this way, that there's separateness, right? It's me mm -hmm. versus you. Yeah. And yeah. I think when you have a expansive view, I wouldn't say consciousness because that's a slippery slope for most people. When you have an expansive view and realize that Truly, we are all connected. We all live on mm -hmm. one planet and mm -hmm. we have to kind of figure things out, even yeah. though we have many glaring differences. I think that that might help. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, I think what's going to save us, and actually to tell you the truth, I have a lot of faith in this. I do believe we're going to create a world community. I don't think it will happen in my lifetime. I see it happening at this point because exactly of what you're bringing up. You're, you're naming it. I feel people are naming, you know, there's a way in which we can no longer have these rigid boundaries, either in ourselves or in our world. Uh, the whole, look at all the, the, the exodus from the Ukraine, look at all the immigrants that are coming in, the world boundaries are changing. They're not going to be the same. So I think that's also part of what we're seeing. This movement, you know, change at this level is often ugly at the beginning. However, I do, I feel very hopeful actually that at some point, it may be hundreds of years, I don't know, 
that we will join. And I think the generations coming in now are not going to stand for this anymore. They're different. <clears throat> they're different beings. They're going to kick the old way out, out and create this world community. It's, I, I think that's our only hope. And I believe it will happen. I truly do. I think that echoes the sentiment of why things like uh, cryptocurrency and blockchains mm -hmm. are happening because it really takes away some of the gatekeeping and mm -hmm. it also mm -hmm. allows it to be more universal. Uh, we'll see. Maybe we can view <laughs> time. Figure that time machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Cheryl, this has been excellent. Seriously. Thank you so much. But before uh, you go, please tell my audience where they can find out more about you, your work, your passions. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I've, I've appreciated meeting you and knowing you right from the beginning, and uh, I, I hope we stay connected. Um, you can find me uh, on my website. That's always the best, and that's www.sherylcrowter.com. Crowter, Everything can spring from that. My books are all on Amazon, of course. Uh, however, anything about information or anything you might need from me, you can go to that website. And uh, and if you can't, if you don't remember the website, you just put Cheryl Crowder in Google and, and I'll pop up. So Wonderful, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Really appreciate this. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.